you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. What is the role of hope in a teenager's perspective? Can pain propel us to find the good things in life? How can we help teens discover their dormant potential? Join us on today's episode for a deep discussion filled with gratitude and expectancy. But I've grown in understanding, understanding it and how it impacts who I am and how I live today and how I can be an instrument, a tool of offering that to even now struggling learners and their discouraged parents. And I find real satisfaction in getting to do that as an educator. Happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss innovation and potential in teens. At this time of year, we explore gratitude and the effects of thankfulness on our lives. Today's episode is about hope specifically hope for parents and educators who may have a student with unrealized potential. If you need a shot in the arm or encouragement to stay the course, today is for you. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. This excerpt from Langston Hughes is a favorite of mine. Dreams and hope carry us through the difficult spots in life, I've lived gritty, hold-fast dreams experiences. Sometimes it is only our hope about a situation that keeps the flame burning. At times, we are a light to our students, the only light. If this is where you are, Allison's perspective and experience will give you hope to hold on, to continue being a light. Allison is a professionally certified educational therapist and the Program Development Manager at the National Institute for Learning Development, NILD. As a young person facing chronic pain, she learned the value of hope and tenacity, and these experiences shaped her desire to see the full potential in students cultivated and bloom into beautiful things. Let's listen in for a hope-filled journey through the life of a passionate educator. So my guest today is Allison Jensen. Allison is the Program Development Manager at the National Institute for Learning Development, and she describes herself as always open to a challenge. And her proudest moments are of taking students who have been told that they are below par or maybe that they're, they're hard to deal with or um, low perceived potential, and she loves working with these students to help them find success and significance. And she said if we were to focus on one word that describes her life, it would be the word hope. So Allison, tell us more about that. How did that come to be, that focus on hope? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Steve, for, for having me and, and letting me have this chance to chat a bit about education and this word hope. You know, I think 
for me, that word describes me on a personal level and characterizes my belief about education as well. I don't know how far, do you want me to go, go way back? Yeah, let's go all the way back, maybe to grade school. Tell us some of your, your early learning experiences and what that felt like and maybe if that frames this discussion at all. Sure. You know, I think at an early age, I would say I encountered, experienced what it was like to feel and to see a family member experience hopelessness. And I remember the pain and the way that that those challenges being in a family where um, specifically it was my mom who was struggling with with some terminal health issues and depression how that affected me as a young student in in school and those emotional challenges that I was facing and really huge questions, life and death kind of questions as a first and second grader evidenced themselves in the classroom setting in ways that, that made my teachers see me as a challenging student. Those underlying insecurities that I was dealing with showed themselves in behavior issues in the classroom. And so it wasn't until I think this this whole idea of hope and having, I think, faced the hopelessness as a kid, I was able to see and experience hope be brought about in the life of my mom. So I watched her changed and transformed. And through that process, I think I gained hope. And it was specifically in my faith I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And from that point, the, the trajectory of my life was changed forever. And my goal and my vision was to be able to be a voice of hope for those that were struggling. And I didn't know at the time, you know, when I was thinking about what I would do, what vocation I would, would embark on. I don't think I, I thought specifically about education, but knew I wanted to make a difference and to work with those that were struggling. So it's been a journey. It's been varied and unexpected. Education eventually became my tool for offering this hope, but it certainly wasn't what I had intended early on. But I would also say there was one teacher, a fourth grade teacher, that really changed for me my path in the school setting. And he was able to see potential in me he was able to realize that there were underlying fears and insecurities that were manifesting themselves in the classroom. And so this teacher, Mr. B, I mean, he, he's still an influence in my life today, really changed me as a student because he, he created an environment where I felt safe, where I was able to explore, make mistakes, learn, and be known and understood. And so I gained this love for learning at that point. And he's been a real model for me, even as an adult. So you mentioned that early on, you weren't really aimed in the trajectory toward education. What were some of those early interests that you explored? You know, one of the areas that I always excelled in was athletics. Even when I struggled in the, the math class or, you know, the academic setting at times, athletics was kind of that avenue where I felt successful and gained confidence. I was a sprinter, so I ran track. I was a hurdler, played soccer as well. And so honestly, I, I think I had hoped and thought that I would pursue somehow in athletics. Of course, as a young child, I always envisioned the Olympics. I don't know that I ever had the capabilities for that, but I did dream big. 
But, you know, I actually, I experienced some health issues myself as a young child and into my teens and early 20s and have had back surgery. I have rods in my back. And so that really precluded those visions for athletics. So that was one, I think, area of interest. But another was travel. You know, I really thought I would be living in adventurous parts of the world. I wanted to to see the world and experience new things and potentially work with young children, even orphans in rural settings. So that was kind of my vision. So Norfolk, Virginia was not my vision of excitement and adventure, though that's where God took me to hone a lot of my skills and really point me in the direction where I am today. So you mentioned that you had some rods put in your back, and was that like a turning point in how you were thinking about your life, or was the trajectory already shifting by that point? You know, yes, by that point, so that was several years later. Actually, I had this back surgery about five years ago. Thankfully, I I received a diagnosis that led doctors to believe they were able to fix this, but I have been in chronic pain since junior high school. And so that I think those struggles with health and you know, not being able to pursue the dreams I had athletically certainly shaped me and developed, I think, this quality of perseverance and being willing to face a challenge. So yes, because of the pain, I had to step away from any competitive athletics. They didn't have the diagnosis at the time. My back, it was actually broken. And so over time, it became worse and it was diagnosed as an adult and they were able to fix it. I certainly have limitations, but I'm out of pain and that's a blessing. As a young child, when that was put into to jeopardy, it really caused me to search and to find what other ways might I be used and how else can I find significance more than, you know, in just what I am able to do or accomplish in who I am as a person and in that relationship to the Lord that I talked about being so foundational and beginning when I was a young child. So do you think that that word hope, do you think that that idea was developed because of the difficult circumstances you seem to face along the way? Or was that something you think that was kind of there that just grew along with the difficult circumstances? You know, I think that it was that whole idea of hope came about through the hopelessness and seeking answers and seeking something more and realizing I was in need. And so it was really through that initial turning point spiritually that hope was born in me personally and set me then on a different path. And so from that point forward, I faced challenges and I faced discouragement. So I wouldn't say after that point, that turning point with the Lord that I've faced hopelessness. Certainly I've faced challenges and discouragements, but yes, that hope was birthed kind of early on as a child, but I've grown in understanding, understanding it and how It impacts who I am and how I live today and how I can be an instrument, a tool of offering that to even now struggling learners and their discouraged parents. And I find real satisfaction in getting to do that as an educator. So tell us a little bit about how you came to work with the National Institute for Learning Development and what you do there. Right. I left college with an elementary education degree and my first teaching assignment was in a rural public school in Georgia. I actually had my own double wide trailer and 15 remedial fifth grade boys. And I was excited for the challenge and volunteered for the class. 
And I will say it's probably one of the most difficult years as an educator I ever faced, but it, I think, developed in me or solidified a passion for the struggling learner. You know, these were boys that had behavior files that were, you know, a mile high, but their underlying academic challenges had not been addressed. They'd been passed along year after year. And so they were at this point as fifth graders reading on a kindergarten level, but these were intelligent boys with some learning challenges. And so that year really solidified this desire to work with struggling learners. But I realized, you know, I have an ability to inspire, to connect, to challenge students to see that there's more to them than what might meet the eye. But I didn't have the specific tools to help a fifth grade boy learn to read. You know, you learn general knowledge in undergrad education programs, but it was this desire to actually learn specific tools to address learning vulnerabilities that led me into the National Institute for Learning Development. So it was really my just asking questions and seeking programs that might help me hone my personal skills. And that's how I found NILD and began my journey and adventure with them. And it, it's been a wonderful one. I've been with them for about 11 years now. So what are some of the early lessons that you learned at NILD that, that you think parents should know or maybe educators should know in dealing with those students that are you can tell there's a spark. You can tell there's something really amazing about them, but their performance just doesn't seem to indicate that. What would you tell a parent or an educator about that? Yes. You know, uh, one quote that I love, and it's by a psychologist, Dr. Robert Brooks. I heard him say this at one of the, it was actually the very first NILD conference I went to. So I was a newly trained therapist, excited to learn, had been a teacher for several years, but I met this conference just like a sponge soaking in the information. And he said, and I'll never forget it, I wrote it down and it's really shaped my thinking and what I communicate to parents and students. But he said, no child wants to fail. You know, it was as simple as that, but went on to talk about how there are underlying challenges, issues that students face and that their struggles are manifested maybe in behaviors that appear as though they don't care, that they are indifferent, but that's not the case. And, you know, I learned to be tenacious and to have this view, again, of hope and potential, no matter how defiant or unresponsive a student may seem in the beginning. And, you know, I learned, too, just about the learning process and how there's building blocks. There's, you know, foundational blocks that need to be in place, emotion and self-regulation, building resilience, you know, a student's ability to make a mistake and learn from it. Those are all foundational and need to be in play. But then NILD taught me how specifically to address weaknesses and how we can target weak areas of thinking. And we all have them. We all have strengths and weaknesses, but how targeting these weak areas, kind of like physical therapy. I tell my students, it's like physical therapy where you target a weak muscle or a weak limb and strengthen it. It makes your overall functioning better. And so that's really the perspective I've learned from NILD how stimulating these weak areas of thinking affect thinking in ways 
that no one would ever imagine. And I think as in my early years in the public school system, the, the view of a struggling learner was very different. I was told my first year of teaching, don't talk to your students about their weaknesses. We don't want to affect their self-esteem. Circumvent the problem, teach to only their strengths, and modify the curriculum so that they don't feel bad was the message I got. And what I found was that those students, those fifth grade boys knew that they were struggling. No one had to. You, it, it really was freeing when I was able to say, actually, you're very strong in this but you struggle in this area and I'm going to help you strengthen it. And so NILD has given me a very different perspective and I've seen results. I've seen kids make progress and it's often even shocked me. You know, I always want to have an optimistic perspective, but sometimes I have faced students that I thought, oh, I'm going to do my best, but I don't know what the outcome is going to be. And time and time again, I've seen students make progress in the face of challenges. And, and I think parents need to hear that and to be encouraged. You know, as a new parent now myself, I see how challenging it is to, to believe that and, and believe the potential in your own child who's struggling and you see it day after day. And you hear the stories from school that were so hard each evening. And so I think it's easy to lose that hope as a parent. And so I love getting to offer that and to let them know that that real change can happen. So are there specific things that you can tell a student that will help them hold on until they get some of these other skills that they need, the resilience and the other things? Mm -hmm. You know, I think something that's so critical and what I found specifically, I talked about my time in Georgia as um, a public school teacher, but when I moved to Norfolk, Virginia to work full time for NILD, I was a teacher and a therapist in a private intervention school in the inner city. And so we were working specifically with students that had been tested for special education in the public system, but did not qualify and so they, therefore they weren't receiving services, yet they were being retained year after year. And so I was working with 20 struggling students, third and fourth graders. And what I learned there was that relationship is key, taking into consideration the students' emotions, but seeking to build a relationship with these kids that, and some of them were very resistant, didn't trust me initially, didn't know if I could really help them because they had, people promised them year after year that that might happen and it, and it didn't, they were still not reading. And so it was forming a relationship, being vulnerable, sharing with them on the first day of school, some of the challenges I've faced and the challenges I faced as a student in school, but also as an adult. I think making mistakes as a teacher and highlighting the way that we can learn from them, demystifying this idea of having to hide the fact that we're making mistakes is important as well. And I think all of those things coming together and forming an environment that's safe, where they believe that I am invested in them, I do see potential but I'm also honest with them about their weaknesses and can say, I've been specially trained to help strengthen these and address 
these, but it's going to take time. It's not a quick fix. And in the meantime, you know, creating an environment that's safe, being vulnerable, and pointing out, being very quick to point out areas of real success and strength and highlighting that for the group. You know, I think it's really awesome for a student to be praised and very specific and real praise in the whole class setting by their teacher, kids that maybe hadn't experienced that before. And so I really set about trying to know my students very well, see them, see their strengths and highlight those while we were working to strengthen the weaknesses. So you'll have to forgive me because I'm a I'm a physicist and not a psychologist. And one of the ways that I, I actually think about people and particularly when a person is at risk, yeah, it feels like someone in that position doesn't have as many connections out to the outside world that are working for them, whether right. it be to parents or to teachers or to peers. Is that a, a reasonable way to think about this? What exactly do you mean by that, that they... That their at-risk behavior and the maybe the feelings that they're experiencing and the, the just the tenuousness of their situation. Right. I mean, in, in my head, the way I think about this is that, you know, there are these kind of threads going from them to other people. And the right. more of those you have, the more robust your network is to kind of hold you up when things come along that you don't expect. Sure. Is that kind of how the human mind works or are there other ways to maybe think about that? You know, I think that that's a, that's a good question. And I think, at least in in my experience, yes, I think that many of these students found themselves in a place of just being misunderstood and lacking some of the skills to interact and relate with others in in a positive way, as well as not having a, a vision or an exposure to the world and to others around them and to new ideas and new ways and other ways that people think. And I think one real key component of the success of my time with those students at Park Place School was bringing in the community. Community involvement was really critical and being able to expose students to, to artists, to musicians, we had a partnership with the local FBI, and FBI agents were some of my students' mentors. We had a neurosurgeon that came and brought the human brain and, and <laughs> allowed them That's to cool. ask. It was amazing. Allowed them to ask questions and explore and exposed them to new ways of thinking, to interests that they had that they never even knew they had. And also exposing them to lots of different people and these community leaders, giving them a chance to, to practice interpersonal skills and relating to other people in a positive way, seeing it modeled for them, but getting to, to practice those things were critical. And again, as I talked about, education really happening through relationship. And I think in addition to the specific skills as an educator that I try to impart and those weak areas of thinking that we address through, you know, very targeted techniques that address the reading, that address the auditory discrimination problems, that is important and that's a part of the process. But another important process is students learning to work together, learning to ask questions learning to make mistakes with one another 
and be encouraging to one another when those mistakes are made. You know, just those skills that I call life skills are a critical component of education. And for the kids that have struggled year after year who have maybe gained some behaviors that just have allowed them to compensate, it really began to break that cycle and to bring them into a place of being able to collaborate and being able to dream and have vision. I think in that safety and in in that place of community, be able to explore new ideas and actually become innovative. And, you know, I think for many of these kids, so much of their energy previously had been consumed by trying to hide their weaknesses and cope. And so I think bringing them into a place of safety, highlighting their strengths, demystifying the making mistakes and how actually that's a positive thing, freed them to begin exploring who they were, where their giftings lied, and how they might, you know, have dreams for their future. Wow. I have about 100 more questions now about this. <laughs> We're coming down to the, the end of our time. So I, I want to sure. just shift gears just a little bit. But the curiosity is still itching in the back of my mind. I can't make it go away. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's a good one. Curiosity, that's a big, that's an important quality. You've had an opportunity to watch uh, at-risk students over time. Remind us again, how long have you been uh, in the classroom? I've been a classroom teacher for 15 years. Okay. And so you've seen some significant changes in uh, technology as it comes into the classroom. So the question I have is, in the digital age with these tools that we have constantly being introduced into the market, and (laughs) ultimately that means into your classroom, what does it mean to be, quote, educated? What does that word educated mean as these new tools are flowing through? How do we navigate that and be educated? Right. I think... Kind of two questions there. What does it mean to be educated? And I think it's learning content. I think that's important, but learning the process. It's being educated is to gain new information, but it's also to learn how to continue learning throughout a lifetime. And so I think that with the advances in technology, we have potential to learn and our students can gain new, exciting opportunities through that. And it's an exciting time. And this advancement allows us, you know, a technology advancement allows us connection with people all over the world in, in new ways, which is a wonderful thing. But I do think it means that we need as educators and as parents to recognize our role, I think, in these days of technology. And it's to emphasize for our students that learning still happens in relationship and interaction with real people in real interpersonal settings. And that's essential and it can't be ignored in light of technology. And I think it's also an opportunity for us to help students differentiate between, uh, there's a difference between clicking a button and reading what someone else has written online, Wikipedia or whatnot, as opposed to engaging in the process of gathering information, thinking critically, comparing and creating and innovating for themselves. And so I think Technology is a fantastic tool, but we need to be careful not to lose sight of relationship and that being a critical component of learning and collaborating with others, but also thinking deeply and critically and developing new ideas. So you just touched upon this, and I can't help but I have to ask this question. (laughs) 
you mentioned the role of, of parents and educators in this environment. Can you elaborate on that just a little bit? What is our role with relationship to our, our growing learners? And specifically in the realm of technology or just beyond that, are you asking? First, as it relates to technology and maybe beyond that. Sure. You know, I think our role is to model lifelong learning ourselves. You know, I talk about wanting to instill that in my students. And so that means that I need to continually be learning and open to new ideas. You know, some of these these new technologies that have been introduced and the things that I've needed to learn, use in my own classroom have been uncomfortable. It doesn't come as easily for me as some of my second graders could fix, you know, the smart board better than I could, for instance. But I think modeling this idea of learning and challenging ourselves, I think, sets the stage for encouraging that in in our students and our own children. Yes, I I think that's our role. And and I think our role, too, you know, I think becoming educated um, is not only about learning content and learning how to continue to learn, but it's also about encouraging students to recognize who they are, their strengths their weaknesses and the characteristics that make them unique and to help guide them and show them how they can positively impact their own community. And with this tool of education that they've been given, one of, you know, I've never forgotten some of my students at Park Place School in Virginia used to say, we need to use our education to give back and be world changers. And that came from fifth grade students, you know, but inspiring students to to go beyond and to explore ways that they can make a difference in their world. Wow. I love that. We actually have that as one of our main tenets um, at Tabletop really? Inventing to help to inspire students to become world changers. Huh. And so huh. it's inspiring to hear <laughs> students giving that same response oh, yeah. back. I, I mean, because that's what we do. We we take in the world, we shake it around inside of our mind, we reinterpret it back. And right. fundamentally, the more we do that, the more change we create. And anyway, yeah, I that's, can't help it. That's awesome. That's neat. And you know, I actually, it was, it was a group of kids that had the opportunity to go on a, an overseas trip with me and others one summer to Costa Rica to work with a community development project. So it was this group of fifth graders, six, a couple sixth graders that coined that phrase because they embarked on this adventure. And it was an exciting time of exposing them to the world beyond, but showing them that, you know, a struggling fifth grade learner can make a difference in a community in Costa Rica. You know, that they had value, they have strengths and talents, and they can make a difference as kids, but also giving them a vision for how they can do that in the future. And that was that was just one of the most exciting times of my life that week that we got to spend in Costa Rica with those kids. Wow, that's powerful. It was cool. As we wrap up, just a few thoughts about what is the purpose of an education? Yes. You know, I think, again, I may have already said this, but I, I think the purpose of an education is to learn content as well as the process. It's to learn how to continue to be a learner throughout your lifetime and then to take that learning and to make a difference in your world and in your community. Excellent. Well, I think that we will wrap it right there. As our audience may have more questions, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? 
Allison? Yes. My email address, Allison Jensen. It's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-J-E-N-S-O-N at N-I-L-D dot O-R-G is a great way to reach me. Excellent. Thank you so much, Allison. All right. Thank you, Steve. From all of us here at Tabletop Inventing, we wish you a happy Thanksgiving. And I hope Allison's perspective on hope inspired you. We also don't want you to forget that we also want to offer a special opportunity to those gifted students in your life who aren't being challenged enough. For more information about our project for gifted students, send me an email at stevecurdy at ttinvent.com and mention RIF, the Resonance Innovation Fellowship. We are planning exciting innovations for teens in 2016, from the underachieving to the overachieving techie students. Also, be sure to subscribe to the TTI podcast so you don't miss great upcoming episodes. And to find out more about inventor camps, after-school programs, training opportunities, and more, for techie high school students, visit inventingzone.com. Don't wonder about the future. Sign up, and we'll help you create it.